Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right, we're right in the middle of our family series. I've asked our family life pastor to speak this morning, Jonathan Lee, and he's going to bring the Word of God to you. God bless you, Jonathan, as you take it. Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That's where we'll be this morning as we continue our, uh, our family series. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this series so far this month. Uh, we started it out on Mother's Day, just encouraging moms. And then uh, we, we moved into uh, talking about the difference between a fast food faith and a, and a home-cooked faith that involves uh, parents passing on their faith to the next generation themselves. We moved into some communication and to some uh, intimacy things between husbands and wives. And uh, this morning, we're going to be moving from those different rooms of the house uh, into the family room or the, the, the living room where this morning we're going to say that that's where real life happens. That's where life happens. That's where we live. Our series that we've kind of been building off of is uh, all from Psalms 127, verse number one, where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So as we move this morning into the living room where real life happens, I think we need to kind of uh, understand that the reality is oftentimes when we get home and we look around at our families, maybe sometimes if we want to admit it, our families maybe look a little more dysfunctional than we like to talk about around here. Or, or maybe uh, instead of a really nice uh, pruned uh, family tree, maybe your tree is like mine and looks more like maybe a family bush. Any, anybody relate? I mean, my family tree, is, I mean, families nowadays, they're, they're messy, and my family tree is a mess. Not only were my parents divorced and remarried, but their parents and my step-parents, and, and it, it just goes on and on. And I never really realized quite how confusing this was until I started trying to explain to my kids when they're like, wait a minute, who, who are we related to again? Wait, that's not my aunt, that's not my uncle, I'm like, ah. It's confusing. Today, some of our families are kind of messy. And the reality is, is that in 2016, the idea of one man and one woman and only the children that they conceive together, that is not the normal family. In fact, that only makes up about 27% of the families today. And so whether it's by divorce or by, uh, uh, or, or by death, Many families are either a step family, blended family, foster care, uh, uh, some, something of that nature, or a single parent household. Today's families are messy. Messy families are the new norm. And though that isn't our goal, our, 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 we never intended for that to be, that's just something we need to, we need to recognize. And, and, and these, these families, these blended families, not only do they present a distinct set of problems, but they also d- present a distinct opportunity to display the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. So today, recognizing this new reality, 
that many of our families here at Faith, we, we need to ask ourselves, what can we glean from God's word that's going to help us as we navigate these uh, step or foster or adoptive type relationships? And you, you may immediately look at your house and think, well, my family is that perfect family tree. And you may think that this doesn't apply to you, but without exception, there is at least someone close to you who either by death or divorce is living in a blended family that God may call on you to to minister to, to reach out to. And, And no matter how messy your family is, no matter how messy your family may look, you can lean on the truth that we are all adopted by God. And that therefore everyone we meet Everyone we meet should be treated with the same love and acceptance that we receive from him. You see, it's not the mess in our family, but it's how we respond to that mess that makes all the difference. Go ahead and stand this morning as we read God's word. As I said, we'll be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read it from verses 14 to verse 17. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God... Are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you, God, that, Lord, you found us in our mess. Lord, and you loved us while we were still in our mess, God, and that you have purposed in our lives to bring us out of that mess and put us into your perfect family tree. God, I ask that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, and that we would receive whatever it is you would have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the reality of how we ought to respond to things, to respond to this mess that we come come about in our lives should come from how God responds to us. And I believe in this passage that we just read that God offers three things that I want to notice this morning. And the first one is that we receive his acceptance. Lorel touched on it as he was closing out the worship, but we receive God's acceptance. At the end of verse uh, verse 15, he says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear, but rather the spirit you receive brought about sonship. Now, here, Paul, he's contrasting two different types of acceptance. You see, you could have been accepted by God that brought you into his, into his household as a slave. And that would have locked you into a day after day striving and working to please your master. But that's not how he accepted you. Instead, he accepted you through adoption into sonship to where now you are a, a, a child of God. And he uses this metaphor of adoption to describe the relationship between you and, and, and God, and to really understand like the, the magnitude of what this adoption really entails, you, you got to go back and understand that uh, uh, the, the, the Greek culture and how they dealt with adoption and some of their rules and their laws regard, regarding adoption. Now, Paul, he's the only writer that refers to our sonship 
through adoption. Most of the other writers uh, talk about being born again, and that's how we came about our sonship. And, and there's a reason for this. Paul, he, usually when he's writing, he's writing to a predominantly uh, a Greek or Gentile culture. And in their culture, an adopted son would take on even a higher position or a higher role in the family than even the firstborn natural son because they said that this son had been chosen. And so because of this chosen nature of this adoption, the the laws forbid, regardless of what this adopted child did, the laws forbid him from being either cut out of the inheritance or being abandoned by his family. A natural-born son, if he was to bring dishonor to the family name or, 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 to bring, or to do something to shame the family, he could be cut off, but not an adopted son. You see, you are accepted. You have been accepted. It is this concept or this, this view of our adoption by God, it even further emphasizes Deuteronomy 31 and 6. It says, God is never going to leave you nor forsake you. You have been accepted. Now, if we've been accepted, now this ought to make us respond to others in the same way. If I'm accepted despite my mistakes, then I should accept others despite their mistakes. You see, if my response to those who have hurt me or those who have put me in the mess or those whose messes around me have affected me is not that of the same acceptance that God offers us, what does that say about our heart? You see, many times we've been forgiven so much, yet we can forgive so little. You see, value the value that we place on something should change how we treat things. And knowing the value of God's adopted sons and daughters should change the way that we view people. You know, I don't understand exactly why we remember certain things in our life and why we can recall certain things. And, but I can, I, there's several different things in my childhood that I can vividly remember some of them, uh, you know, whether it's just, that's just what I remember or maybe even the, the sovereignty of God wanted me to remember these distinct things. But there's a few things that I want to mention here this morning that God saw fit for me to be able to recall. I can still remember when I was five years old, sitting in the floor of, of my mother's living room. This was a, would have been a consequential day for, for any five-year-old as I was being removed from my mother's house by the courts because she had uh, become addicted to drugs and could no longer provide the, the love and the care that, that I needed. And I was going to be going to live with my dad. And now, during this, during this period of time, during this day that I remember, I don't remember uh, uh, what I was wearing. I don't remember uh, what the car looked like when they came to pick me up. I don't remember where we went. I don't remember any of those things. But the thing that I do remember was that I was sitting in the living room where I said real life happens, where we see the mess around us. And nobody was there except for me and a man, a man named Jay Morris, a man who a few years earlier he had married my mom. And he was the only one at the house with me as I sat at the floor in between his legs. Another side note I do remember, it was, he was sitting on this really light beige vinyl couch that was really big in the 80s. (laughs) 
and almost, almost white colored. And I was sitting on the floor in between his legs as he sat on this couch. And what seemed like hours, though it, it may not have been hours, but that's how it seems in my mind. This man who was not my father, who did not share the DNA, the biological DNA that I had, he sat there and he cried. He had not even known me my whole life, only known him a few short years. But in those moments, as each tear fell from his eyes onto me, on, the, on my hands, I can probably count the number of times I had seen him cry in my whole life, but this was one of them. And in those moments, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I was wanted. I was loved. I was accepted. And I was his son. You see, you have been accepted. You have been accepted by God, but God goes further than just accepting us. He goes further than just valuing us enough to take us in and make us part of what he's, he's doing. He says that, you know what, you're not just worth accepting, you're worth loving. And he loves us. You see, it's more than just noticing that people are acceptable this, the, knowing the value that God places on them should lead us to this deep passion for people. Which brings me to the second thing that I want to point out from the scriptures we read, and that's that we are loved by God. Loved. We're not just accepted, but we're, we're loved. And Paul says that this leads us to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You know, a title can carry significant weight. You know, I, th- I think we under- understand this, and you can tell a lot about a person or a relationship between people by the title that they use to describe someone else. I mean, think about a dating relationship. You go through several different titles, and by this title, you can, you can kind of determine exactly the, where they're at in this relationship. It may start off as you introduce your uh, significant other as just a friend. Now, the, the, the title of friendship, that is significance. There's significance there, but it may lead that person wondering, you know, where exactly is this relationship going? You know, and so then, it, you know, the relationship moves on, and now you actually introduce them as the title of boyfriend or girlfriend. And so now the, the people you're talking to, because of that title, they now know that you, that relationship has the same characteristics of friendship However, now there's a romantic value there to that relationship. However, not enough commitment there for the, for the title of a fiancé. You know, haven't got to that level yet. And, and then you get to marriage, and you guys can see where, where I'm going with this. But there is something to be said about titles. Titles are important. And for our adoption and acceptance into the family of God, it leaves us using this title of Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. A deep, intimate title reserved not just uh, for a father, but a father whom you feel protected, comforted, accepted completely and wholly by. Abba, Father. I mentioned a moment ago that uh, my mom had succumbed to a drug addiction in my early years. And, and after I went to live with, with my dad, he had, he had already been remarried to to a woman named Patty. Now, Patty, for a long time, uh, for a long time in my childhood, uh, uh, she was unable to have kids, and so she loved me as though I was her kid. 
I mean, not just like the normal like step-parent kind of stuff from there. No, she went like above and beyond. Like she was my, she was the one, uh, she was my class mom. She was the one, you know, getting all the parties together while I was in elementary school. She didn't stop there. She went on to be like the PTA president of my school. Like she's, she's organizing these huge events and fundraisers for my school. She was the one who, who helped smooth my dad over when I'd brought home yet another animal that he did not want. That's what she did for me. She was the one who read me bedtime stories. She was the one who made my lunches, who cleaned my scrapes, who did all the things for me that I needed a mom to do. But there was a problem. For some reason, I had the hardest time calling her mom because even though my mom was unable to be who I needed her to be for me at that stage of my life, I I reserved that title of mom just for her. And I can still remember that day where I finally decided, you know what, I am going to respond to this unconditional acceptance and love that I've received from from Patty in the appropriate way. And that was going to call her the title that our relationship deserved. I was only like seven years old and uh, I I don't remember a a whole lot about it. I was even talking to her about it a couple weeks Neither one of us could remember whether it was her birthday or Mother's Day, but it was like a big surprise. And seven years old, I was really goofy. And, and now, as, even as I'm telling this story, it sounds kind of mean, but like kind of throughout the day, like I went around kind of bugging her and like faking that I was about to call her mom. It's kind of cruel now that I look back and thinking. Uh, it'd be like, that, that's what I remember. And, 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 but I wouldn't actually do it. And, and finally I let it out. I was like, mom. And, and, and I called her mom and I've called her mom from, from that point on in, in my life. And see, the thing about it is, is it wasn't her position of marriage to my father or the duties that she provided me that warranted her to have that title. It was her love. A love like our father God so lavishly offers us And then it causes us to give him that title, Daddy God, Abba, Father, this deep, intimate title that we share with him, Abba, Father. We're accepted. We are loved. Consider these Bible facts. I'm really into numbers, and so i got to find a way to weave some numbers in here somehow. Jesus, he traveled and he taught for three years In your Bible, there are approximately 110 pages that are dedicated just to his ministry and his message. We have approximately 25,000 words that Jesus spoke and recorded that are recorded in the Bible. Of those 25,000 words, Jesus taught about the Father in heaven 181 times. So that means one out of every 140 words that Jesus was speaking was about his father, and the nature of his father. His central message and purpose was to restore us to a right relationship with the father in heaven. Here's just a few of those stories that Jesus said about our Abba father. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Again, he says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth that he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones or any of you to be lost. So do not, this is a great one, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that's what we are. Amen. Amen. And this, all these stories, all this, this imagery and these messages that Jesus is trying to convey, he's hammering into our hearts that you have a daddy who loves you, and he's strong enough to protect you. He's engaged enough to teach you. He's tender enough to hug you and that he's alive enough to play with you. You've been accepted and you've been loved by your father in heaven. The the number one uh, uh, verse regarding, at least to me, the, the, the love of the father that's so amazing that no matter how far we've wandered off, how far we've gone, where we've been or what we've done, that we can always still come home. Regarding the prodigal son, Jesus said, when he came to his senses, he said, I will set out and go back to my father. I will go back to my father. He accepts you and he loves you. His love goes further. His love seeks reconciliation without hesitation. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the Father's love for you. If you think about it, You never really have to convince someone to forgive someone who they deeply love. I mean, sometimes they can go so far to the fact that it could be even harmful or dangerous for that person. Someone who's deeply in love that's been wronged or abused by that person can sometimes go at lengths to even cover that up because of their love. For any step-parents out there, Do you just accept them, your stepchildren, because they came part of the package deal? And you just love your husband or your wife? Or do you become intimately involved in their lives? How do you love those, we could call them adopted sons and daughters? Do you love like God does? See, these children, they need to not only know that they are loved, but our love has to go a step further. 
Our children would need to know that we enjoy them. If we do this, if we are able to do this, if our family members, the messy, the messy ones, the ones who've put us in the mess, the ones that have hurt us, if they are able to understand that we love them, we accept them, we forgive them, we enjoy them, the cool thing is we get to participate in God's legacy. In God's legacy here on earth. Verse number 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That, that verse carries significant weight there. We're not just children. He already said we're not slaves, but we're children. We're, we're not just, just children. We're, we're children that have been given an inheritance. We have a legacy. We get to share in the glory of God. He says, so what do we inherit? The kingdom. Well, what's the kingdom? What is God's glory? What is this glory that we say we get to share in? Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is the glory of God. And Jesus came that we might share in his glory through the work on the cross. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse number 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, it's talking about you and me, that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. You see, through Jesus, we now get to be like Jesus to others around us. We get to participate in his legacy. You see, Jesus came to save us and to show us this acceptance and the love that the Father was offering us. And he did it walking among us in the flesh. And now God is saying, go and do likewise. Participate in bringing my glory about all around the world. Participate in my legacy. You see, the reality is, is, We've all been orphaned by our natural father, Adam. And we've had to have been adopted by God. So everyone you meet, everyone you see, everyone you've ever heard about falls into one of two categories. Either they are your brother and sister adopted also by God, which makes them your family member, or they're an orphan who is yet to be introduced to their heavenly father. So, oh, well, if they're an orphan, they don't believe like me, they don't walk like me, they don't talk like me, they don't dress like me. They, you know, they're, they're an orphan. Say, so how ought we treat them? James 1.27 says, religion that our father, that God our father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows. To look after them in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, whether they are literal orphans or whether they are just spiritual orphans, we offer them the love and acceptance that God has offered us. Sometimes we forget that it was his kindness that brought us to repentance. 
It was his kindness, his, his goodness to us that drew us, that love of the Father that drew us to repentance. That's how we share in his glory. It isn't just some glory that is to come, but today we get the opportunity to participate in the legacy, in the lives of the people we run into all around us. See, it's time to start, start being the agents of adoption for this lost world. We need to start being the agents of adoption that takes these orphans, spiritual and literal orphans, and connects them to the Father who accepts them and who loves them. Not just the orphans in our community, but those near and dear to us. Those who have wronged us. Maybe to even the ones who put us in the mess that we're in. See, all throughout Scripture, God has always used the family to speak to generation after generation. He used genealogies. He, he's always used the family uh, to, 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 to distribute his message to the earth. And it almost seems right now that you know, we see the attack of the enemy on the, on the family. We could look at it as though there's this roadblock that there's only 27% of the families, as we mentioned earlier, that have, a, have a, a clear conduit or a clear path for God's message to go from one generation to the next generation. But you gotta, you got to realize that there's redemption in the legacy. As we participate in God's legacy and bringing about his glory on earth, there's redemption for the mess. There's redemption for the messed up family tree. There's redemption for the family tree that looks like a bush. You see, we were never intended to be orphans. God didn't design us when he made mankind in the garden for us to wind up literal or spiritual orphans. He designed us that we might be in relationship with him, that we might be the sons and daughters of God. You see, it's not the mess, but it's how we respond to the mess that makes all the difference. The decision is ours. The decision of how we respond to the mess is ours. In Luke chapter 15, is, Jesus is describing these three stories. And the last of those three stories, uh, we often refer to this story as the prodigal son, in which we have this son who decides to become an orphan. He says, you know what? I don't want to be with my family. I don't want to be with my dad anymore. And he decides to go and to be an orphan, but that's what he is now. He's now an orphan. And we often focus on, on that guy of the story, but there's two other main characters in that story. There's a father and there's a brother. The father says, when he saw his son from afar off, he went to meet him. Before the son could even yet begin to confess 
before the son had an opportunity to explain or to ask for forgiveness or or, or to, to justify his actions in any way, the father not only embraced him and hugged him, but he elevated him back to the, to the position of son. And then you have the brother. The brother who thought he didn't deserve forgiveness. He hasn't begged for mercy. He hasn't begged for forgiveness. Why would you restore him? Why would you put him back in this place in the family? The way I look at it is, There's people in our lives. There's people who are in our family rooms, in our living rooms, where real life happens and where a real family is messy, where people get hurt, divorce happens, people say things that they never intended to say, and we're left with two options. We can be like the Father, And without explanation, without confession, without request for forgiveness, we offer them acceptance and love. Or we be like the brother and we say they don't deserve it and we give them a laundry list of things they can do to earn our forgiveness. The reality is there's only one response partners us with God in bringing about his glory to the earth. It's not the mess. It's how we respond to the mess that makes the difference. Our families were never supposed to look like the way they do today. But how we respond in those families, in those hurts, is what's going to make the difference in the legacy of your family. Oftentimes here at Faith, nearly every Sunday morning, there's There's a point of action that we ask you to take. Many times it's coming to these altars and we ask you to pray with someone. And I I believe uh, dearly that uh, a physical action in response to what God is doing on the inside of you, it's it's important for us to mentally or to emotionally, it seems to kind of solidify what God is doing to us on the inside. And this morning is no different. If you'll notice in your bulletins this morning, we had the same family handout that we've been handing out every every week during this family series. But you'll notice on one side, it's a little bit different. One side, it just contains lines. I would imagine that everyone in this room is in some way, shape, or form been affected by the messiness of family. You've been hurt, you've been wronged, you've been abused, somebody said something to you that they never should have, somebody's done something that they never should have. Maybe you think your parents gave up a little too soon. Whatever the case may be, you've been affected by the mess. But it's not the mess, it's how you respond that makes all the difference. And this morning, our action point, I'm not going to ask for people to come forward. I'm not going to ask for you to come here and to pray. Your action point, I I think, is even taking a little step further. Right now, those people who you have in your minds, I want their names on those lines. You could even begin to use those lines maybe to begin to write a letter 
to someone. Maybe it'll be easier for you to write a letter to someone saying that you forgive them for whatever it was that has wronged you, for whatever it was that's happened. You say they didn't ask for forgiveness. They haven't even admitted that they hurt me. Remember, only one response partners you with bringing about the glory of God on earth. And I want you to, I want to take it even a step further. I want you at some point during this week, I want you to communicate this act of forgiveness or this act of, of letting this person go or whatever type of reconciliation your specific family instance happens to be. And just as a way to encourage you and a way to help keep you accountable about bringing God's glory on earth and partnering and participating in his legacy here, this week I want you to email me. It's Jonathan at faithishere.org. And I just want, you, I don't want any details. I don't want to, I don't need to know about the mess. I just want you to know, hey, I participated in bringing God's glory here on earth. I asked for forgiveness. I forgave, whatever the case may be. And we're just going to celebrate together what God's going to do to restore families right here at Faith Assembly. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.